Awesome. It's good to see you guys tonight. And um, I'm uh, excited to be up here. I'm starting a new series. <laughs> and I, I never was a series guy. It's kind of like a, yes, Jesus, hello. Um, God's in the house, amen? Amen. Um, I, uh, as I kind of plot and plan these messages, um, and usually I don't try to do series, but sometimes I know like a topic's going to take a little bit longer than one night. And so my goal is to keep you hungry and thirsty for more. <laughs> so what could be like a nine-hour kind of message, I'm going to condense into bite-sized pieces. So I'm not going to get through everything I want to tonight. Um, and so I'm going to be in the next two weeks after tonight talking on this. Um, but the topic is the case for the prophetic and prophecy. And I'm probably the least likely person you would have ever known to be up here and sharing on this topic. And so I'm going to share on a couple of things. But first, I just want to make mention um, of a few individuals. Uh, and I'm going to forget a lot of people, but uh, Nelda Scott, Saul Lopez, Jared and Charity, Eilerine, uh Laura, Simon. Oh, man, so many people that um, RJ... Um, Gosh, I'm like looking around at people and thinking, but there's so many people that have made this topic real for me. If you would have asked me about five or six years ago, I would have, have not been in a position to actually really believe what I'm going to share with you guys tonight. And that has come from people actually demonstrating the power of God, because how much, how many know that a demonstration is more powerful than uh, just reading and, and like learning about something? Like when you, when you feel something and see something, um, anybody know like the uh, car called a Tesla at all? I'm not a car guy. I'm like, huh, I kind of like dirt bikes, like whatever. And um, there's a fellow client uh, of mine, and so I went out for sushi with him, and he's like, hey, let's go to sushi, I'll drive. And I was like, cool. So we walk around the corner, and he has a Tesla. Oh, sweet, you know, whatever. Um, and he's like, he throws me the keys. I'm like, really? And so we get in. This thing is like a dirt bike if it was a car. It was like, if a dirt bike could be a car, it would be a Tesla. And I had, like, read about things, but when you experience something, and it, it is just no joke. It is it's so amazing. So even when I, I have, like, programmers like, flying from out of town, like, I call this guy. I'm like, hey, I want to, like, give this guy a ride in the car. I've, like, given Cody a ride in it. I'm like, we, we've taken this thing joyriding, like, several times. And just that, that experience, it just makes something real. And so those individuals have uh, made this topic very real. But tonight, I want to um, just honor them real quick in that. But tonight, I want to give you what the modern view, um, theology regarding um, the prophetic, and specifically against it, because actually it's more common for the modern theology to be actually against the prophetic than it is for it, um, and how and why that viewpoint is supported. And then I want to have us see briefly how the modern-day church and how you and I should actually approach that topic of the role of prophecy in our own walk with Jesus. Cool? Awesome. Um, I just feel like I need to pray one more time. Sorry, I don't normally do this, but uh, Lord, we just ask just for a cleansing of our, our minds. Lord, we don't want to hear from me. We want to hear from you. Lord, I just surrender every word of my mouth just to your wisdom, your word, and your truth. Lord, we, we just ask that the scriptures be, be seen for what they are. God, we don't have an agenda. We don't have a motive. We don't have anything besides just Jesus and truth. And so, Lord, we just surrender this topic to you. Lord, it, it's charged, it's, it's controversial, it, it's difficult. And so, Lord, we, just, we lay that before you and just say, take the wheel, Jesus, that you would allow us to find clarity where there's confusion and allow our minds to be open to the, what the scriptures say. In Jesus' name, amen. So the debates about the Holy Spirit and the works of the Holy Spirit have been um, debated for centuries. 
And I don't expect to settle this debate by any means with um, all times I teach some things, I, I tell you, check it out for yourself. Or if you don't like something, like spit out the seeds and take what's good and, and whatever. But my, my aim is not to like give you the, you know, this is what you should believe because this is what I've, I've come to from the scriptures. I'm not going to debate anybody. If you come up to me afterwards and like, ah, I don't believe you, that's up to you. I don't lose any sleep over it. But the most prominent theologians are what are called cessationists. You said cessationists. Yeah. Now, there's a reason I'm going to tell you the word. Cessationists. It's because one of the, the things I found myself in is in circumstances where somebody has come up with the technical, theological, doctrinal term, like, oh, he's not social, 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 you know, and like, ah, uh, I don't know what that is. And it's, it's a way to kind of minimize your knowledge and your understanding of theological truth. So the technical word for this is cessationism, which basically means that the Holy Spirit's purpose in imparting signs or gifts has expired. That's what it means. It means that the work of the Holy Spirit through the manifestations of prophecy, miracles, healings, Tongues, what all that good stuff has expired. And specifically, let me read it to, to you in detail from um, many theologians that I actually admire and have books on my shelf from, is that the signs and the gifts or apostolic gifts were given exclusively to the original 12, everyone say 12, so that the signs and gifts of the apostles are inextricably linked. Meaning that every sign of the prophetic, every sign of the Holy Spirit that was done in the New Testament was linked to one of the 12. And that the position and or gift of apostleship itself no longer exists. Cessationists also believe that with this foundation, um, many things are believed to be true, which include that all signs and gifts have ceased. The sign gifts are not expected to reappear ever. These signs, gifts, and apostolic gifts are speaking in tongues, prophetic words, words of knowledge, interpreting tongues, prophetic declarations, prophecy, and, and all forms of healing. So cessationalists believe that all that stuff is gone under one of two situations and conditions. Either the death of all the apostles, or second, when the scriptures came together, or what's called canonized. And here's the scripture they use. I don't know if we have it on the screen. I hope we do. Maybe. It's 1 Corinthians 13, 8. And this is the passage that's used to justify this, this view. It says, 1 Corinthians 13, 8 through 10, Love never fails, but if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. So here we have the scriptures telling us that where there's prophecy, it will cease. Where there's tongues, it will cease. Where it's knowledge, it will be done away with. Because when the perfect comes, the imperfect will pass away. Cessationists believe that the canonization of the Bible, the scriptures, is what the perfect is. The canonization, let me give it to you again, is that when all the letters of Paul all the epistles, all the writings of the gospels, when they were formed and decided that this is the Bible, that they formed and said this is what the authoritative truth, the, the complete revelation of God is, that is what they believe concluded the role of the giftings of the Holy Spirit. Are you with me? And many, many people believe this. John Piper, John Stott, John MacArthur, Tim Keller, he says he's an 80% cessationalist. I love all those authors. 
And I'll be like, read their books. We're like, oh, well, anyways, oh, cool. Oh, you know, like I have that kind of love-hate relationship. And I've learned not to hold it against them. If you have any teacher where you have to believe 100% of everything they say, you have a recipe for some screwy theology. Because I can tell you that we mean from someone who tries to give you the scriptures, sometimes things don't come out exactly right. <laughs> but it's important to know that, um, that just because someone disagrees with you on a particular point of theology, you don't need to throw out everything they say. That's okay. Um, but for them, they argue that the canonization is the perfect that has arrived. Their belief is that the completed scriptures contain the entire revelation of God that will ever come. It's in the scriptures. And there's no need for further revelation or any supernatural interaction with God outside of the scriptures. They basically say, if you want to hear from God, you go to the scriptures, which I agree. I believe every modern prophetic gifting and role flows in with the scriptures. I don't look and find, Jesus, who am I going to date? Have you ever looked to find who you're going to date in the scriptures? It's not in there. But we can learn about what and, and how and who we are and how to grow and how to have practical dating relationships through the scriptures. But the cessationists believe that the gifts were, were there just long enough so that the scriptures could be completed and then expired. And here's what is, is problematic for me with the canonization being the indicator of the perfect. Um, is one that the canonization, like the assembly of this is the authoritative word of God, it's been a little bit of a hot debate for, oh, about 2,000 years. There's actually a lot of disagreement um, among a lot of denominations even. The Catholics, they have a completely different edition to the Bible called the Apocrypha. They're like, we can't get along with those Christians, so we're going to add these other ones. And so they have, you know, their own definition for what is sacred and holy in the scriptures. I don't know if you knew about like Martin Luther, right? He's like the guy who... Um, basically formed the Reformation and led the Protestants um, away from the theology that you had to pay money to escape the punishment from God. It's kind of intense. And uh, that salvation was a free gift. Like, that was, like, something we take for granted. But that was, like, radical back then, you know? That was, like, crazy. He, too, had his own canonization where he actually removed Hebrews, James, Jude, and Revelation from the Bible. So even him, like, you know, he's like, he didn't like some of the things over there. He's like, ah, we'll just, like, make this. And to this day, you can still find Luther's canonization. So to say that when the perfect comes is when every Christian on earth believes that the Bible is one set of scriptures is probably not the best indicator because as you search and find, there's a, a lot of people that, that have different interpretations of that. So I, I kind of have, like, a personal problem with that. The second thing I have with that. Not that I have, I'll tell you what I have, but is this, is that um, Colossians 4, Paul says to the Colossians, take this letter and read it to the Laodiceans. This is verse 16 of chapter 4. And likewise, the Laodiceans have them read the letter I wrote you. How many know there is no epistle in the New Testament called the Laodiceans? There's actually a possible unfound letter from Paul. That's kind of crazy. And so it's widely accepted. It's right there in the black and white. And it's not to say that we have incomplete scriptures, but I'm telling you that if, if we're judging the absence of the Holy Spirit by this perfect instrument that we have, which I believe all the scripture we have is divine, inspired, and is, is God-ordained. Don't misunderstand me. But to make such a bold statement like the Holy Spirit no longer works because now this is perfect, I'm saying as a weak argument. Are you with me? And now here's my personal viewpoints with this scripture and personal issues with that viewpoint. Is um, 
The perfect is not the scriptures. I think the perfect is Jesus. I'm going to say that the perfect, the only thing that is perfect in the entire universe is Jesus. I'm just going to go there. That's okay. And so when Jesus comes again, right, because it says, for when the perfect comes, and basically he's referring that prophecy will cease, tongues will cease. When Jesus is standing face to face, do you think I'll need to prophesy about him when he's in the room? When he's around, do you think I'm going to need to speak in tongues or have someone interpret in tongues about what he's already saying and doing when he's here? It kind of doesn't make a whole lot of sense, does it? And so I believe it's talking about the second coming of Jesus, is that we have been given impartation and empowerment now while we're waiting for Jesus to return that helps us help us out a little bit, right? And so the scriptures say that prophecy will cease, tongue will cease. What else does it say will cease? Did you catch it? It says knowledge will be done away with. So if you want to throw out the baby, you have to all throw out the bathwater too. Because <laughs> you say, oh, all the gifts are gone because prophecy will cease, tongues will cease. Well, then you have to say, well, you sound pretty stupid because knowledge also ceases too. You have to take them all together, right? So knowledge will be done with. So finally, my, my biggest issue with all this, who are we as humans to ever say what God isn't doing. Who are we ever to say, the Lord never does that? I mean, if you want to look like a donkey, that's a great way to do that. In fact, God spoke through a donkey one time just for that very fact. And so I have this, this, this repulsive nature of like, anytime someone says, God never does that, unless there is a direct contradiction to the word like, I believe God won't do a lot of things against his character, but when we say God no longer ordains the powerment of the Holy Spirit through gifts, through prophecy, through words of knowledge, all those things, I just have a lot of heartburn over that. I don't know about you. In essence, for this is that Jesus came to abolish the law for us, and at the same time, he established a law for his spirit. It seems very weird to me. That's just me. And so if you want to know the opposite, cessationalist is basically it ceases, right? That kind of makes sense. The opposite is a continuationist. So everyone says, that Aaron guy, he's a continuationist, you know. That's what you know it kind of means. Now, I could have skipped this entire section. Why did I bring it up? I didn't, I actually cut all this out. I was like, oh, this is not pertinent. Why why address this is because there's this nagging scripture that was kind of holding me back this week. And it's 1 Peter 3.15. It says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. And because I believe in the power of the prophetic and I believe in the power of prophecy, I want to be educated on why people have issues with it and why people think that it's um, no longer relevant and no longer there. And what I have found in that pursuit of saying that the prophetic no longer exists, there's a common denominator for me is that those people want the most control with God. Could it be that we say, God no longer uses prophetic gifts because that is outside our control now? It takes zero faith to believe in a God that no longer does anything and stays within this box. It takes zero faith to put God in a fenced pen and say, this is what Jesus does and nothing else. It takes zero faith for that. But it takes bold faith to actually have a God that has no limits. It takes bold faith and it takes a radical living to understand that God can do whatever he wants when he pleases through whatever forms. And so I believe that the Holy Spirit makes most theologians uncomfortable because it removes a theologian from the right to control what God does and thinks. 
That's just me. Are you with me? All right. On from that, um, I just wanted to share that. So this is, this is not a thorough teaching on the uses of the prophetic tonight, but I want to pick on five areas really briefly about the cornerstones in which we need to build our base theology for which the prophetic rests for how we build truth. And I'm going to tell you up front what they are, and I'm going to go through them really quickly. The first is the effect on our salvation, the fulfillment of the promise of the Holy Spirit, the sharing of our testimony, how Jesus wants us to minister, and Paul's instructions for the church. Got it? So the first is the effect of our salvation. The effect of our salvation is not limited to the fact that we go to heaven to be with Jesus. Yes, when we give our life to Jesus, we are we have a one-way train ticket to heaven, and I'm excited about that. But in the meantime, I'm here, right? So when we were given the Holy Spirit, we have to ask ourselves why. Why were we given the Holy Spirit? It's because that in our state, we are inadequate. And what the Holy Spirit does is it gives us something that becomes more than adequate for the challenges and the issues and the work of God. It is the mechanism for which God is going to accomplish things through you here. Our salvation is sweet. God could have just said, Hey, when, when all this stuff goes to crap and, and you're dead in the ground, hey, I have a great house for you to live in after it. I mean, he, he could have stopped there. But he gave us the Holy Spirit for an instrumental part for we would play a role with him in redeeming all things on the earth. It's not simply that we are lonely so we need to have a companion with this. Oh, Holy Spirit, you're so nice. No, we were given the Holy Spirit because we're to have a direct link to heaven. It's important to know that the Holy Spirit isn't to help us get better test scores, find parking spaces, do those things. It's to have a direct link with Jesus. Everything about the Holy Spirit is that you have a link to Jesus. So the work of the Spirit means that you are powerful. The work of the Holy Spirit means that you are powerful. Acts 1.8 says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Paul describes his first encounter with the the Corinthians and says this in in chapter 2, verse 4. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstrations of the Spirit and of power. It is impossible to read the Scriptures and to come to the conclusion that you are a powerless weakling. If that's your translation, let me get you a new canonized version that's much better. You should not read the Bible and think, I'm such a lowly, scummy, terrible, inadequate, sinner saved by grace. You should be reading the Bible and say, I'm a ruler co-reigning with Jesus. I'm the righteousness of Christ. I don't live. He lives through me. This is crazy. That is how you should be reading the scriptures. And he's given me the Holy Spirit to, to help be the insurance policy for my butt when I mess up because he is greater than I am. And he's going to lead me because I can't come up with this stuff on my own. And so he partners with you to do powerful things. It's not to sin less. The Holy Spirit's not there to make you sin less. He's there to actually make you work, to make you live powerfully and intentionally and to transform this world for Jesus. Jesus says, I, um, he says, you will do greater things than me. How many know that only because we have the Holy Spirit and it's the Holy Spirit working through us that that's possible? He's not saying that you're in competition. He's like, I'm going to, you know, do it through you, but it's really going to be me. And it's going to be better than this. And if we don't have that that frame of truth around us, we're going to find ourselves always terrified of the world. The Holy Spirit makes us powerful. I can't stress that enough. And what specifically would the Holy Spirit make us powerful in? It's in the works of the Holy Spirit. 
which include prophecy. Prophecy is an explicit work of the Holy Spirit. We'll dive into that much more. The second thing is the fulfillment of the promise of the Holy Spirit. What was significant about it? The Old Testament foretold the coming of the Holy Spirit and what would happen. And it's repeated for us in the New Testament, Acts 2.17, when there's like an explicit uh, test, or, uh, prophecy that's, that's um, come true, it, it, the New Testament usually frames it. And so this is Acts 2.17. It's quoted in the Old Testament. It says, And it shall be in the last days, God says, that I will pour forth my spirit on all mankind, and your sons and your daughters shall what? Prophesy. And your young men will see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. The very first specific outcome of the Holy Spirit is prophecy. The very first description of the Holy Spirit and its fruit and its work is prophecy. Not just that there will be prophecies, but specifically who will be prophesying? Sons and daughters. What can we learn from this? Up until then, prophecy in the Bible, if you read all the Old Testament, you had to be a prophet to prophesy. Who's prophesying now? your sons and daughters. What does this mean? The arrival of the Holy Spirit made prophecy available to the rest of the body. The Holy Spirit, when it came, its fruit is that it made prophecy a part of the whole entire body. That prophecy is no longer restricted to prophets. It says, I will pour out my spirit on who? All mankind or some mankind? All. Some really gifted? No, all. Who? All. How many know that when God says all, he kind of means all? If you want to say to those who really, really want it, you know, to those who really deserve it, I'll give them prophecy. No, all mankind, your sons and daughters shall prophesy. The prophecy about the Holy Spirit is not just that the prophets would prophesy, your sons and daughters and daughters. Anyone notice daughters, right? Women, what? I thought that they couldn't speak up in church. See, that was good. If you missed that series, um, you're so behind the times because we spent like 40 weeks in that. So, you, I, actually, I don't mean that. I'm sorry. I, I really mean, please visit our website and view our podcast on women in ministry. All right. So not only... I love it. Not only does the Holy Spirit permit you to prophesy, the important thing in there is that everybody has a direct connection to God. I don't know if I, I watched like a video, I don't know who posted on Facebook, but it was like this archaeological dig, you know, of uh, Israel. And they're like going down like the bottom of the, the eastern wall and they found this gold bell. It's like 100 feet down in the, the ground. This gold bell, like they pick it, like ding, 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 ding. And it's the bell in which the high priest would, would put a rope around his waist and walk in the Holy of Holies. And if God struck him down in the Holy of Holies, you could like hear the bell go ding, and hear a thud. And he had a rope, and so which you could like pull him out because you couldn't go in there because then you would get whacked, you know? So they found these bells, right? It's crazy. Do we have those rules anymore? I mean, right? Why don't we have like one person 
once a year who goes into the Holy of Holies for all of us and comes back and tells us what God says. Why? It's because the Holy Spirit is giving you direct access. Before there was no direct access. But now you do. You have direct access to God through the Holy Spirit. And so prophecy is the participation with the promise of God for pouring out his spirit. Every time we prophesy, we participate in that promise. Third, is the sharing of our testimony. When great things happen with God, we're called to share it. Waterbury loves the, the passage, Revelations 12, 11, that we shall overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. We share testimonies because we believe that there's victory in testimonies. Woo! Yeah! You know? We don't do it because we want to, like, fill the time, you know, and get a little time before that. We don't do it because we want to elevate people. We do it because we want to share in what God is doing. If you don't see what God's doing, you can kind of get pretty depressed real easily. If you're not hearing what God is doing in somebody else's life and, and somewhere else in the world, it's easy to get depressed. Because if you turn on the news, it's terrible out there. It's so depressing. Like, if I want to ruin my day, I go and, like, read the news and read politics. <laughs> my temptation is, like, political Facebook debates. It's like, oh, it's luring me like the apple of the garden. It's like, stay away, you know. And it will ruin me. Like, Ashley's coming to my office where I'm, like, brooding over my dad. I'm like, I'm unfriending these people, you know. Like, it can just wreck me, you know. And if I don't have the fresh vision for what God is doing now in people around me, I can easily get depressed. And so our testimonies are very powerful. (laughs) Welcome, guys. And we think that testimonies, we think testimonies are bragging about God. Well, testimonies, I always thought was like bragging about how bad you were. Oh, I slept with so many women in my days, you know, you know, like, right? (laughs) It's like, this is not a glorifying comment, you know? Or people like, I was so strong out on this. And like, there's almost people who take like pride in how bad they were. Like, I hacked some phone systems in college, you know? I'm not getting up here like, oh, I did such a good job hacking, you know? I'm not like that. And whenever we elevate our sin, there's something wrong in the water, okay? So... So it's easy to think that, oh, we're just bragging about where we went. If you notice our testimonies here, most of them are about what's happening now. A testimony is not a history lesson in, oh, I was really bad, now I'm good, you know. It's not that I just simply added Jesus on top of my, you know, life, and now it's better, like miracle grow. It's, it's not like that at all. <laughs> the goal of testimony is to share what God's doing now. I love our testimonies because it's like, yeah, that just happened. And you know what? Nobody knows, hardly anybody knows, the significance of a testimony. Who in here has ever shared your testimony before to any person? Shared even like that you know Jesus. Most? Yeah, right? You have no idea what you did. You know what you did? You're all prophetic. You all prophesied. Did you know that? When we share our testimony, we participate with the spirit of prophecy. When you share your testimony, when you share anything that Jesus did in your life, you are partnering and participating with the spirit of prophecy. Check out this verse. This is Revelation 19.10, part B. says this, For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of what? Prophecy. 
The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Did you know what the word testimony means in the Hebrew? It means do it again. Let that sink in. Testimony in Hebrew means do it again. The testimony is the the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy, meaning when you say God is transforming my mind, He's transforming the way I think, you are giving prophetic declarations for Jesus to do it again to those who hear. You had no idea, huh? All you guys are prophets. You're welcome, I'm done. No. <laughs> So if you are afraid of prophecy, then never share your testimony. If you want to get all bent out of shape about, I don't know about the prophetic, then just never share anything about Jesus ever is the only way to guarantee that. But as long as you open your mouth about what Jesus is doing and has done, it's the spirit of prophecy saying, to those who hear, do it again. It's possible. And we we totally miss it. I never knew this either. (laughs) Sharing our testimony is integral to how we minister. So we automatically are participating in the prophetic whenever we do that. But how else ought we to live? When we think about, okay, I've given my life to Jesus. Jesus is kind of cool. I'm kind of like trying to figure out a relationship with him. I'm stoked on that. How do I live? How do I minister? What do I do? Holy cow. You know what this word says? 1 John 2, 6 says, Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus lived. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus lived. Now that might sound like a bummer to you. She's like, I don't want to grow a beard and wear sandals. I don't want to be crucified. Like we we can come up with all these things. I actually studied, and later I'm going to get into the fivefold ministry again sometime. Basically, it's Ephesians 4, and it talks about the five roles that Christ has given the church for the equipping, the edification of the church. Apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. I went through all the words of Jesus, and I categorized every one according to those five. took me forever, and I'll send them to anybody. You know what I found? Jesus had a crazy prophetic ministry. In addition to being pastoral, in addition to being a great teacher, in addition to um, being the great storyteller, all these things, he had an amazing prophetic gifting. A few highlights is that he demonstrated word of knowledge. Remember like the woman at the well? I don't have a husband. You have five, lady. You know, he's like, got the download. We see him foretell, Jesus, or foretell Peter's denial. He's like, <laughs> you're so funny, you're going to deny me three times tomorrow. He knows what's going to happen ahead of time. We see him prophesy people's potential. Peter, you are the rock, and I'm going to build my church on you. When you turn away, come back and strengthen your brothers. He gives them a declaration for what he is possible to attain and to reach. We see him also receiving revelation and perceiving the hearts and the intentions, the unspoken words of the Pharisees. Fascinating. And this is all done by the spirit that lives in you and me. My favorite verse, I'm sorry I quote this way too many times from here, is Galatians 2.20. I no longer live, but it's Christ who lives through me. If you're trying to like worry about, oh, I'm trying to live for God, you should try, stop trying to live. 
Because you trying to live probably is getting in the way of Jesus trying to live. When we overthink it, sometimes we extinguish the work of God by trying to overthink and trying to like overmanage it. But Jesus says, no, you no longer live, I live through you. And so what does that mean when we look at the life of Jesus? Remember that whoever claims to be in him, relationship with him, must live as Jesus lived. And so we have to ask ourselves, how did Jesus live? He lived being pastoral, being evangelistic, being all these things. But more importantly for tonight, he tapped into the prophetic. Jesus designed prophecy to be part of your ministry. If Jesus is part of you, then Jesus' prophetic gifting is part of your ministry. We see Jesus demonstrating this very concept. Check this out in Luke chapter 10. Remember, the cessationists believed that the giftings, the supernatural works, stopped at the 12. Remember I had you say 12? So we're coming back to that, right? Ready? Luke chapter 10, verse 1, then we're going to jump into 8 and 9. Now after this, the Lord appointed... What? 70? That, how many know 70 is more than 12? Right? I didn't do great math, so I'm going to you know, assume that 70 is more. And sent them out in pairs ahead of him to every city and place, look at this, where he himself was going to go. The first instance of biblical outsourcing right here. Jesus is like, I have been doing so many miracles. I was going to go there. Uh, you, you go. <laughs> do you understand this? the place where he himself was going to go. And he, Jesus said in verse 8, whatever city you enter and they receive you, eat what is set before you and heal those in it who are sick and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near you. So here Jesus is commissioning 70 for the works of the Spirit. He's saying, you going with my Spirit is just as good as me going. You with Jesus' spirit is just as good as Jesus being here now. We think, Jesus, come, Jesus, come. He's like, I'm already there. <laughs> I'm already there. It's amazing. I, I once had a message, and I, I, I um, prayed out loud, like the prayer that I always prayed, Lord, give me your spirit, you know. Help me do this. Help me to love. Help me, like, I went all these things. And I talk about how, like, actually unbiblical every one of those statements is. If, there's, if, they, if I was to die on one truth, if I was to like give you one last word and just collapse over here, it was just that the Spirit of God is always with you. If you've received Jesus, you can't evict him if you try. He's like, I have, we're, we're in this for the long haul. And he has made the dwelling place of your body the place for spirit. 1 Corinthians 3.16, for you yourselves are the temple of God and God's Spirit dwells within you. Jesus wasn't looking for cheap rent. He knew what he was signing up for when he placed his spirit in you. And so they were appointed for supernatural power. And I just, I love it so much. I, I never recognize that part that Jesus sent those instead of him. It's so cool. I don't know. Does that get anybody else like pumped up? He's like, I was going to go, but you is going with my spirit is just as good. So finally, Paul's instruction for the church. Paul's specific instruction to the church in prophecy is detailed in this truth, is that prophecy is not limited to certain people with certain giftings. Prophecy is not limited to certain people with certain giftings. Prophecy is a gift, but you do not need to be gifted to prophesy. 
You do not need to be gifted to prophesy to have the gift of prophecy. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 31 says, For you can all, everyone say all. For you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all may be exhorted, which also means to be edified. Who can prophesy? All. I know that when God says all, he means all, right? Second time that joke came around. So he means all, all of you. All of you. You don't need to distinguish it like, oh, I'm I'm not a prophet. I don't know how to prophesy. It's not designed to be that way. The Holy Spirit has given you factory default equipment to help you tap into what the Spirit of God wants to do. Remember, it says, I will pour out my Spirit on all mankind, and your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Cessationalists make the qualifications of the prophetic about the apostles. Paul makes it about all, all people. If you desire it, you ask. If you don't have it, you seek it, you ask. And so the question is, all can prophesy? You might be thinking, can I prophesy? Like you're like, maybe I, I, okay, you caught me with the testimony thing, so I was prophesying, but I know I was prophesying. But what if I do want to prophesy? Can I do that? You know how you do that? And how we understand the role and the strength and the power and what that looks like? What prophecy actually is practically? Do you want to know how that is? You have to come back next week. So, love you guys.